For the people at home. For the people at home. And Dale's home. We love you, Dale. And Dee are watching online. Um, good morning, church. I'm always blessed. Boy, Ken, my brother, will you shut that door? There's a blinding light coming from a car right into my... <laughs> Greg's been doing it the whole... Greg went through all the worship with that light in his face. Thank you, brother. Well, I'm not going to spend too much time right here, but I did bring this up because I'm going to make a really cool graph. I learned it in grade school. Um, you'll be pretty impressed with my artistic skills. I saw this funny post the other day, and it showed this, like, stick figure, and then this other, like, really nicely done portrait, and it said, both of these are the images of when we both say, I don't draw very well. And I'm on the stick figure side, just so you guys know. Oh, definitely. Let me see, am I? Okay, I just want to see. I got my line right here. I can come to about right here, and I stay on TV with everybody at home. Because I got to move. I can't just, like... Stand in one place. That's not me. I got way too much energy. Anybody drink too much coffee this morning? One person? One more? Still drinking. We were talking, I was talking about my coffee addiction problem earlier. Yeah, there it is. It's all my coffee people. I said, I said, you know, today, Sunday's like a big workout day for me. It's my maximal effort lower day, and I really put a lot into it. And, you know, I tell myself on this day, and I talk to myself every day about quitting caffeine. I'm like, okay, on that day I drink a regular before I leave the house, another regular or a decaf. It depends. I have both at home. Then I come on the way to church and I get a venti-sized Starbucks black. Then if Angel's here, I have coffee from the cafe because I've killed the venti black. Then I go home and I drink one to two 16-ounce Red Bulls in the green flavor. It's really great. And then I take this really powerful 110% nutrition stem pre-workout, and then I go in the garage and I train. And then I wonder why I toss and turn all night, and my wife will ask me, how did you sleep last night? I'll be like, I just I tossed and turned all night. I think I have a little too much caffeine. Now, if you ask me, Chris, if you stop drinking all that caffeine, would your energy level go down? The answer is no. I would be worse. I am high, I've been high energy, high octane my whole life, so um, I just thought that was something to talk about this morning because I got up here and wanted to explain that I just can't stand still. So we've been talking in the Abraham series for quite a while, and I'm loving it, Abraham. Oh, it feels almost odd that I'm going to talk on something next week that's not going to be in the Abraham series because I told myself, all right, new, new year, new beginning, we're going to start in Abraham, we're going to talk about the promises, we're going to talk about what our faith really looks like. So now next week I get to do something different where I talk about our congregation. So, you know, I, I like to I like to always express and bring up that we're people. You know, we're people. We get up every day, we have jobs. We 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 live a life where there's a lot of things that we go do that honestly some of us want to do and some of us don't want to do. And some of us, just some of us, are flawed, right? Just some of us? Some of us, right? All of us. All of us are flawed. And you have minor flaws and major flaws, right? Okay, who created that measure scale? We'll talk about that in a while. Minor flaws and major flaws. And we've talked so far with Abraham, we've come across some major and minor flaws, right? This guy's flawed. He's lied. 
He was not a great mediator when there was a problem going on with Lot. Last week I discussed with you that his wife, who after 24 years of living with the man who's been given this promise, she's not convinced, so he hasn't been doing a fantastic job uh, expressing to her that God is going to come through on this promise, right? We talked about maybe he's people pleasing his wife, keeping her happy. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Just give me Hagar. You know, I, we, we, we've looked at this long pattern that's been going on with Abraham. And so the great question today is, I think you know the answer. Does God judge him based on these flaws? No. Does God judge you based on your flaws? No, thank goodness. Yes and no. Yes and no. Has anybody ever opened up the last book of the Bible? It's called the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 20, it says the books were opened. And the earth gave up those who were dead in it. And the sea gave up those who were dead in it. A lot of people have died at sea over the past few thousand years, right? Death in Hades, also known as Sheol. Gave up those who were dead in it. And what were they given up for? Judgment day. But the ones who are not going to be judged are the ones who are under the blood in the doorpost of the Lamb, right? We got Jesus right here. It says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. And when you're standing at the day of judgment, I like to picture it this way, that you're sitting at the judgment seat and every time... The devil's like, oh, but he did this on December 4th, 1992. We got 40 more years to go, Lord, but we're going to start right here. And everything that the devil's going to accuse you of, I like to picture that Jesus is going to stand him and go, objection, your honor. I paid for that one too. Right? Okay? Major flaws, minor flaws. Does God judge us based on these flaws? Yes and no. Yes and no. There's a day of judgment. But you might particularly not be judged. But there's people living outside this world. There's people outside this building right now that are walking around in the streets that guess what? There's not a yes and no. There's a yes only. So we've come this far in our story. We know now that Abraham is God's guy, right? Abraham's the guy. We know that he's promised a son, right? He's been promised a son. I like that I wrote this here. Does that sound familiar, the promise of a son that's taken a long time to be born? How about go from Abraham's time in 2,100 years to the promise of a Messiah and a Savior to be born to the bloodline of David? Took 2,000 years. Right? Long period of time for this promised son, this promised Messiah. So, Something sound in this story. So Abraham is promised a son. I love Abraham's story. And when we get into a little further with Abraham, I'm going to give you another connection point of something that God's going to do that directly correlates Jesus. And so we've established Abraham's the guy. Now we're going to take a look. Now we're going to take a deeper look at what happened in last week's message. Last week we talked about the divine visit, right? And you guys just got so excited. We were like, wow. And I told you my really crazy divine visit story in Walmart. And we all have these divine visits. But now we're going to get into something a little deeper. So I, called, I, I titled this Abraham Intercedes. 
Yeah, confirmation of Abraham. Abraham intercedes part two. So in your notes, we're in the second half of chapter, I believe, 18. 18, 16? Yeah, I think so. Why is it not? It's not in my notes, but it's 18, 16, or 17, 16. 18, 18, 16. 18, thank you. Then the, then the men rose from there and looked toward where? Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him, blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring Abraham to what he has spoken to him, end quote. And the Lord said, quote, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, their flaws, minor and major. I will go down now and see, I'm going to add this, for myself, I will see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Sound like God hears our prayers? God hears what's going on? He heard the outcry? Talk about that in Exodus, right? Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. So two of these individuals start to leave. And Abraham stays with the Lord. And the Lord stays with Abraham. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. 50 good people. Based on their minor and major flaws. 50 people within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this. To slay the righteous from the wicked. So that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Some, someday I'll read in the New Living Translation so it sounds like a little more 2022. But uh, that's what he's saying. Like, that's, that's not what you would do, right? You wouldn't destroy all those righteous people for the wicked, would you? Because that would be like saying they're wicked too, God. Far be it from you. That's not something you would do. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now I, who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous, God. Just five less. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there 45, I will not destroy it. 45. If I find 45 righteous people, he said, righteous people, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. You ever have these kind of bargaining things with God? Is this how we bargain with God, right? But I love that God is actually in it with him. Like, all right, 
40? No problem. They're like negotiating all the way down. God's not even objecting. God's not going, 47. I 45, 47, 40, 42.5. We'll count the 5.5 as a child. 13 and under. You know, God is, God is going with him. And so it says here, so the Lord said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said this. This is what we always do when we're bargaining with God. Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. God, please don't be mad when I say this right now. Please. Suppose 30 should be found there. I know you said 50. We said 45, 40, but suppose only 30, God. 30. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. God, please don't smite me. Sixth time we're going around in a circle here. But I'm about to lower the bar again. Then he said, suppose 10. Just 10 righteous people. Because in Abraham's eyes, he's saying 10 righteous people shouldn't die for the wicked. Because you would be counting them as wicked. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Well, so let's look at some things from the story, and then we'll conclude with some final thoughts. Number one, last week we talked about the divine visit. Well, you learned something different today. This divine visit was actually a stop point on a more graver matter. Right? God and the two angels did not come down to remind Abraham that he was going to give him the promise that he had just spoke to him about a couple weeks before. God was there on other business, this divine appointment. So when I ran into that person at Walmart that I believe, I don't know who it was, but I believe it was a spiritual being, maybe that person had some other business to attend to while they were there, and I was just along the path. Because that's what we do, right? Like, I know I'm like, okay, I got to go to Walmart. Okay, but I also need to grab gas. I need to do this, and I need to call so-and-so on my way there. But I have a more graver matter because I had a mission to go to Walmart, right? That's God. God was on mission here. So God had heard the groanings, the outcry, all this stuff going on with the people. This is why God is here. So this stop, the stop that we talked about last week, that divine visit, it was not the main purpose of this visit. It was not the main purpose of this visit. There was other business to attend to, right? We're talking righteous and unrighteous here. So bullet point B, this was the reason the angels were along for the journey. Because you know these two angels, we're going to read more about them. You know who they are, right? They're the two that go into the city, and they go to Lot's house, right? So this was the reason the angels were along for the journey. Bullet point two, I had to practice this word, literally, practice it, thank you. I even had to go to Google and like type the word in and hit the little play button so it would say it to me so I didn't come up here and sound stupid. I'm a transparent person. I'm always going to tell you like, I'm not going to come up here and act smart. I'll just I'll tell you what I got. I'm a flooring pro, I'm a pastor. And I'm a weightlifter. Those are the things I know. If it comes outside of that, you get into deep, like, this word's in the dictionary. Do you know what it means? My answer is no, I don't. Teach me because I'm willing to learn. So God has a moment of soliloquy. Soliloquy. 
What does that mean, Chris? Soliloquy is defined as an act of speaking one's thoughts aloud, regardless of the hearers. Do you ever do that? They do it in plays. You know, Angel and Greg are sitting over here, and, you know, when you're in a Shakespeare play, and this guy's like, oh, dear that I love Angel. Oh, that she would hear my cry, and they hear everything, you know. And you're the audience. You're hearing what's going on. You're hearing my thoughts aloud. This is what God did when he said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? God is saying these thoughts aloud. Why is he doing this, Chris? Because Abraham is the chosen guy. Abraham is becoming, he is not all the way there yet, he is becoming the inside guy. He's like God's bringing him into his inner circle by doing this, right? Circle of trust, you know, Robert De Niro, Abraham's out here, he's kind of bringing him into the circle now, right? I should have drawn that. Greg. Greg. <laughs> Come on, nobody saw it. Okay, thank you, thank you. I was like, I'm like, nobody got that or what? All right, all right. Why does God do this? Because God wants him to see the reasonableness of his actions. God is going to teach Abraham a lesson here in this story, right? Same lesson I'm going to share with us after. So bullet point three, I want to move along because I want to get to that. The Lord has heard the groanings, right? There's been complaints. He's hearing this stuff. There's people praying. There's people speaking out. Outcry is a cry against, not from. He wasn't hearing this from Sodom and Gomorrah. This was an outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible uses the word against. The same cry heard from Abel and the same cry heard against Egypt. I did a little study here. That word outcry uh, and that word, the groanings, the outcry, it's the same word that was used in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. And it's the same outcry, groanings against, that was used in Exodus when the children of Israel were under bondage. So that was a kind of outcry that was going on here. Okay? Egypt, yeah. Okay. Bullet point four, Abraham wasn't concerned with the sinners here, right? He didn't say anything about the wicked people, like maybe we should give them a chance. Second, no, nothing. He was only concerned with who? He was concerned with the innocent. This is the way we feel, right? Because we judge good and evil, right? Don't we? Major flaws, minor flaws. We're going to talk about this in a second. This is what we do. We're human beings. This is what we do. Or you may have done this and you try to steer away from it. And sometimes that one person back in February stirred you the wrong way and you felt this way again where you judge that person. That's what we do. You know, I may not be judging everybody, but I'm listening, right? You're listening to everything people are saying. So his pleading demonstrates our view of evil from God's view of Concerned, yeah. Did I put B on both of those? No worries. So, as humans, so his pleading demonstrates our view of evil versus God's view of evil, right? We live in the world and we think that person's evil. That was evil. That was not nice of you. That was kind of mean. 
That was a little sarcastic. I don't know if that's okay. Like, what, what are we doing here? We're, 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 we're creating a measurement here. As humans, we measure evil on a sliding scale. Yes? We measure evil on a sliding scale. Am I wrong? How about this? Does this sound right? Oh, I make mistakes, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. That guy, he cheats on his taxes. That's bad. He justifies his cheating on his taxes. Hey, that guy, he was unfaithful to his wife, and I think he still is. I've never killed anyone. I've never punched anyone in the face. I've never, you fill in the blank. Your measure of evil is on a sliding scale. It's what we do. That's what we do. So, let's take a look at something here. Let's see if I can do it. Uh-huh, bullet point A, everybody sees that. Come along this sliding scale here. Go to the end. Five, one, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. All right. Here's your sliding scale of evil, right? This is what we do. So I'm going to put some people on here, okay? Bullet point two. You got Billy Graham. You're like, Billy Graham's a great guy. Because you're creating your own measure of slide of evil. You're like, Billy Graham went out and preached to the nations. Man, that guy was the greatest evangelist of the 20th century. He's a two. Because nobody's here because this is perfect. Right? Nobody's here. D, I know you're at home. You know, we all know D's here at one. Right? Okay? Chris? Your loving pastor, he's at three. This is me. This is D. Okay? Now, then all of a sudden, we're living in 2022. We're like, number eight. This is Putin. Oh, all this stuff's going on. He's just attacking those innocent lies. Then over here on number 10, you got, well, that's Hitler status. You know, he's just killing people. Wiping out the face of the planet. Here's my sliding scale of evil. So we as people can easily draw the conclusion that no one's perfect, right? This is my conclusion. Chris, did you come to this conclusion? This is my conclusion, okay? Based on what I know. So this is my conclusion. I came to a conclusion yesterday, it was an epiphany moment. Want to hear a pastor not stand on any side of it? I'm not an oil tycoon. I'm not a foreign policy expert. All the information that comes to me comes from left-wing media, right-wing media, my government, or people's objective opinions on one of those three. So you know what I know? Nothing. I know what you want me to know. No matter what angle it's coming from, I know what somebody else wants me to know. It doesn't make it the truth. Here's my conclusion of evil, right? So we sometimes see ourselves in the middle of the graph. Oh my gosh, you're at number five. I got to go this way. This is not good. 
How are you going to love this? This is my best note. When we say or think, this is what Abraham did. When we say or think God should wipe out all evil. God should wipe out all evil. Non-believers. Why doesn't God wipe out all evil? Here's why. Because what you're saying is that God should wipe out all evil that's worse than yours. That's what we do in our evil sliding scale. Believer or non-believer, when I say God should wipe out all evil, what I'm saying is God should wipe out all evil that I feel is worse than mine. But that's not how God judges minor and major flaws. Okay? God doesn't define, here, this person, you want to know what this is? Righteous. God doesn't define righteous the way that we do. God defines righteous as morally perfect, without sin, without even the desire to sin. And you know my favorite statement about Jesus? If you have Jesus, you don't become sinless, but you sin less. And when your desire is to not sin, and when your desire is to follow Jesus Christ, and when your desire is in your daily life, this week I want to impact the world for Jesus. I'm going to be at church on Sunday lifting my hands up. I'm going to invite people to church. You're going to hate me for this one. I'm going to give to my church. I'm going to do all the things that God wants to see me do so that I let God know and the people around me that I'm all in. Right? I want all the people to know I'm all in. When you do that, you sin less. You start going this way on your own measure of evil. But what does the Bible say? It says there's no one righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All of us. Here, 0.000001. All of us are on this side of what God calls righteous. But when you have Jesus, what happens? This whole thing disappears because there's no more sliding scale. Because when you have Jesus in your heart and you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is your Lord and Savior, I'm talking to you guys online, you move to that side of the scale instantly. Instantly. Where were all the dead before Jesus came? Jesus said there was the rich man and the beggar. And one was in Abraham's bosom and the other was in Shaul, death in Hades. And that's where most people went to wait for judgment. The, death, the dead are still waiting for judgment. The ones who don't have Jesus. Because what did Jesus say at the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. After that happened, anybody who died with Christ in them is now in paradise, also still waiting for the day of judgment. Okay? But anybody else who dies, where do they go, Chris? They go to Sheol. They go to death in Hades. And in Revelation 20, it says they're going to be lifted up and judged. And then after that, death and Hades are going to get cast into the lake of fire, second death. Absolute, eternal, final separation from God. Right now, whether they like it or not, God is here, God is everywhere, and God is surrounding them. Right now, they are in the presence of God, whether they like it or not. 
the lake of fire will be eternal separation from God. What does that look like? Our righteousness comes from our faith in our Savior. Yes, amen? Okay. The same faith that we have originated with who? Abraham. Because Abraham obeyed God. How do you know Abraham obeyed God, Chris? My goodness! He picked up his family at 75 and moved south. Any little kids in the room? Okay. The look says, don't. Two weeks ago, there was an act enabled at the time, right? Two, two Sundays ago. Remember that one? And he still didn't have the promised kid yet. Remember my story about all the ways he might have thought about that, but he was obedient. Are you obedient to believing that Jesus is your Savior? Is that, is that who you're following today? Is this what we're doing every day? Because if we do that, we don't have to judge our minor and major flaws anymore. Because in God's sight, you don't have any. It's hard. So as you see in this story, the concept of righteousness for Abraham was very different from God's. Right? Lot lived there. Lot was his guy, remember? Abraham pleaded God down to ten people. If there's just 10 people, 10 people, we're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know how big that area was, but let's just look at Marysville and Yuba City, okay? There's 100,000 people in these two communities. And you got somebody living in Live Oak going, Lord, if I find just 10 righteous churches, don't destroy them. God's like, no worries, man. If we find that, we won't do it, right? I'm just giving you a scale there, like think about it. I didn't say 10 righteous people. I said 10 righteous churches. How many churches are in this community? I don't know. There's quite a lot. We lived in Downey at one time, and when we lived in Downey, there were 96 churches in Downey. Downey, California used to be a, uh, a, 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 like a Union Western station where the stagecoach went through. Downey was a stop down in L.A. And because of that, that's where all the churches were. And Downey today has like almost 100 churches. 100 churches. How many of them are preaching the real truths? We don't know. I said churches. I didn't say Christian churches. Okay? So, we see in this story that God was willing to not destroy these cities if he found just ten righteous people. But we obviously know, because we're going to go into it later, after the business meetings, that there was not ten righteous people. Not ten people that God said were righteous. You know, so there was a lot of uh, sliding scale stuff going on. You know, because Abraham basically was saying, God, don't destroy anybody whose evil is greater than mine. Right? That's what he said. Because Abraham thought to himself, anybody's righteous, that means they practice less evil than me. It measured on a sliding scale. And we can't do that. So, you know, uh, Sweating. It's good. I'm fired up. I love Jesus. I love this church. I put a post up last night and I tagged a lot of you in it. Thought that was fun. I think I'm going to put that post in the 530 group like a couple days early, and especially I'll repost it Saturday night. And if they kick me out, 
thank you. I'll just send it to Will. He'll post it. Then I'll send it to Ken, and he'll po- we'll get it out there. I, we are going to invite people to come here. Because you know why? I'm, just, I'm hearing myself say this. This is all God, man. Because we're teaching God's truths here. We're reading from God's word, and we are looking at the truths of the Bible, and we are preaching that there is only salvation in Jesus Christ. So I don't know what's going on everywhere else, but we need to invite people here because they need to hear the truth, and that's the truth. Okay? I'm looking forward to next week where we're going to talk about Foursquare. Because everybody's like, what's Foursquare? Well, we'll tell you. We're a part of Christianity. But over time, it's like everybody splits. Like, oh, we got the Lutheran church, and oh, and now we believe something different, so now we're the Methodist church. And then, oh, now we believe something. We, we look at Scripture, and we think this about it. And because you and I disagree on what we think in Scripture, we're now this denomination. That's how these things happen, okay? So next week, I'll explain a little bit about what Foursquare believes, because we're pretty on point. I'm, I'm a Bible thumper in the sense that I've read it from cover to cover. So I have my own objections and statements and beliefs of what I read. And so Foursquare, we're pretty on point with everything that I would agree I'm reading. You know, like I don't read something, and then all of a sudden Foursquare says something different. I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that. You know, we could talk pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. That's, a, that's, a, that's nobody in Foursquare. We don't tell you what to believe in that. It's up to you. I'll tell you the major thing that we believe. We believe that God heals. Okay. Well, Chris, I prayed for this and God didn't heal me. Well, Mike, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to not die. But what was God's will? So don't always think that God's not hearing you and that God doesn't perform miracles, okay? Because in this, in this fellowship, the miracles that were performed 2,000 years ago are not over. And there are denominations that believe that. They don't believe in speaking in tongues. They don't believe that people can still be healed. They believe that was first century church stuff. Well, guess what? That's not the truth. The truth is that what God did then, God is still doing now. And there is some great stuff still coming. And one day we're all going to stand at the throne of judgment. So I'm really excited. I'm sweating still. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church family, Lord. I am ever grateful, Lord. I am, I am just... My heart's in awe. I thank, you that you, I thank you that you give us your word, Lord, each and every week. I thank you that you, you, you put it on my heart and you inspire me, Lord, on what to come up here and say, Lord, because sometimes I, I get one thing going and I get up here and you take over and that's the way I like it. So I thank you in advance for all of us this week, Lord. I thank you in advance for our offerings, Lord. Help grow, grow this church, Lord God. Grow, grow what we need to do here, Lord. We got to do it. We got to do it financially because money doesn't grow on trees. We know that. So... Lord, I just thank you in advance for our offerings. I thank you in advance for this fellowship. I thank you for what you're going to continue doing in our lives. I keep hearing praise reports weekly right now from people in this fellowship, and I thank you for that, Lord, and I thank you for what you're doing in their lives, Lord, and I, and I pray that you continue to do those things in their lives. I thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.